Welcome back to another episode of The Gospel Alone. So here we are, another episode. You guys already know, this is the podcast where we talk about everything, everything under the sun, but always relating it back to what truly matters, which is the gospel, of course. So again, welcome back to another episode. Thank you guys so much. Once again, I do want to start this episode off by saying thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for the love. Please, 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 like always, please subscribe, y'all. Subscribe. I'm telling you, it does help, okay? (laughs) And if you're a Christian and you're like me and you want to get the gospel out and you want to have other people who do not know Christ or who do know Christ but just want to grow in their walk, if you want them to know more about Christ, if you want them to hear um, biblical perspective, please share this, share it, subscribe to it, rate it, review it, all the above. Okay. (laughs) All the above. I really appreciate it. And I love you guys for the support so far. So just want to start off this episode by saying that I am appreciative. All right. So I thought hard on this because if you guys remember back in episode two, we went through scriptures popular scriptures of the Bible that have been taken out of context. Um, And I got good response to that, which I am grateful for. And I realized, hmm, let me make this into a series because what I talked about last week was Matthew 7, uh, not last week, but um, the second episode was Matthew chapter seven about judging and then also um, the scripture in Isaiah that talks about by his wounds, by Christ's wounds, we are healed and how those scriptures are usually taken out of context. And honestly, those are obviously are not those aren't the only two scriptures that are grossly taken out of context. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to make this kind of like a series where um, every now and then we're going to get into scriptures that are taken out of context, that are twisted, and we're going to look into the scriptures, we're going to read it in context, and we're going to draw out the true meaning of what that scripture says. All right, so this is the episode. We're going to, this is basically part two. We're going to talk about three scriptures that are normally taken out of context, and we're going to exegetically read it and bring out the true meaning of it. Um, and these scriptures, a lot of y'all already know the, the the verses. And so I think it'll be easier to kind of to kind of talk about it. So yeah, so let's get into it right away. The first verse or the first scripture that is usually taken out of context that we're going to talk about today is touch not my anointed and do my prophet no harm. Yes, we have heard this saying a lot and it is a saying, or I guess not a saying, but it's a verse in the Bible that has been used multiple, multiple times to really, really bring out negative or um, what I want to say, to really shut people up and really silence voices. And I'm going to get into what I mean by that. But this touch not my anointed and do my prophet no harm is found in First Chronicles 16, 22, and then um, 
that literally that whole passage is reiterated in Psalms 105. So, so I'm not going to read the whole of first Chronicles 16, but I will read verse 22 where that, um, that sentence or that verse is mentioned. It says in verse 22 of first Chronicles 16, um, or I guess I'll just read 21 as well. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account saying, touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. And again, that's found in um, Psalms 105 verse 15. So we're going to talk about what this text, how this text has been twisted and how it has been brought up to mean something entirely different than what God intended it for it to mean. So what do people use this text to mean? Or what do a lot of um, people tend to think that this verse means is that we shouldn't speak out against or critique any pastors or any preachers on any topic because they're the anointed ones, right? They're the, they're the anointed ones that the scripture is talking about. And so if you are speaking out against anything they say, anything they preach, then that means you're disobeying what God has commanded you not to do. Therefore, you will receive some type of judgment and something evil will happen to you or something bad will happen to you. That is what that is how this text has been misused multiple times. And I hear this a lot in um, you'll hear it a lot, mostly in the hyper charismatic, charismatic circles where they will use this text to to shut people up or silence people, silence their congregation from critiquing the pastor or speaking out against or even challenging the pastor. Right. An example of this is, let's say, you know, you're talking to a friend um, on Monday and you talk to them, you're like, hey, you know, um, yesterday, Sunday during the sermon, I don't know if the pastor was really speaking truth from that text that he was um, preaching on. I think maybe he was misinterpreting a certain scripture or I think maybe um, he was saying something that was false or that was opposed to the gospel, blah, 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 right? You're saying that to your friend and then your friend is like, whoa, whoa, whoa do not speak on the man of God. You know, you can't speak on the man of God. Do not touch God's anointed. Be careful. You don't want to do that. You don't want to speak out against that. Yes, that, <laughs> that is how a conversation will usually go. And I have experienced that where I was speaking to a friend that believed that's what that verse meant. And so when I was telling them like, Hey, you know, I really don't think this scripture is, um, what the pastor said it meant, you know, I got the, Hey, don't talk, (laughs) don't speak out against him. So yeah, that's, that's how that scripture is used guys. And it's, it's really sad because if you look at the context of the scripture, that is not what it means. God, people are basically saying, God forbids anyone from challenging or calling out or disagreeing or critiquing a preacher and his teachings. That is what they assume this passage means. And we're going to get into the context of it quickly because we're going to see very, very easily that that is not what it means. So what does the scripture mean? Okay. For, so first of all, number one, I want to address something quickly under the new covenant. All believers are anointed. We see that throughout the New Testament. We see that in 1 John 2.20, 1 John 2.27, 2 
2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, we see that once you put your faith in Christ, once you are saved and the Holy Spirit immediately comes into you, you are an anointed one. And anointed just basically means set apart or chosen. And so all believers are anointed. All believers are chosen and set apart. And I say that because a lot of people when they look at touch not my anointed ones and do my prophet no harm, they think that anointed one, especially in the context of our day to day, it just means pastors or preachers that, you know, preachers just have, they have this special anointing on them. They have this superior anointing on them than their quote unquote regular, um, regular Christians or their regular congregants. No, <laughs> no pastor has more anointing than someone who is not a pastor. Scripture does not teach that. All believers, whether you are a pastor, an elder, a deacon, a usher, a children's worker, whatever, if you are a believer, you are anointed. So let's just clear that out of the way. So let's look at the text, uh, the context of this passage. So First Chronicles 16 is basically David, along with others, along with his like chiefs and um his servants and all of that, they are publicly praising God for what God has done, all the miraculous things that God has done. And so, you know, they're playing music and harps, you know, all those things to just really thank God and praise him. David is thanking God by telling of the miraculous things that God has done for Israel. Um, and in that passage, he brings up the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he talks about the miraculous things, the the faithful things, the good things that God has done for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob um, pertaining to, you know, Israel and their protection. And um, David speaks on how God, through his promise, protected Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the rulers and the kings of the nations that they were wandering into. God was protecting them from these rulers who may have wanted to harm them and kill them wherever they would wander, you know, from nation to nation, from place to place. And so the patriarchs referred to here were God's anointed ones and prophets, which was um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so this passage is talking about physical harm. God was protecting Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from rulers and kings physically harming them, injuring them killing them. So God's saying, touch not my anointed and do my prophet no harm. This command was for a specific group at a specific time period. We can also see an example in uh, David, King uh, David's situation and King Saul's situation where when Saul, King Saul wanted to kill David and there was a time, a point in time where David was actually in close proximity. He found himself in close proximity to King Saul and he had the opportunity to kill Saul and to harm him. But what did he do? He chose not to because he said he realized and he acknowledged that even though King Saul was going astray, God had anointed Saul to be king. He was still anointed. And therefore, David couldn't just harm someone that God had anointed. And so so he drew back his sword in order to not touch him. And so we see that even being played out in the the life of David. And so this text doesn't mean we cannot speak out against a person or a pastor who is teaching false doctrine or even challenge them or disagree with our pastors 
on certain doctrine. This has nothing to do with speaking out against that. And we know this because there are many, many times in the New Testament where um, people are speaking out against others. Uh, For example, Paul, he spoke out against Peter for being a hypocrite. He actually spoke out (laughs) against him in public in front of all the other Jews and Gentiles. You know, he spoke out and said, hey, what you are doing is wrong. He spoke out and challenged him, even though he was an apostle. We see Jesus. He himself spoke out multiple times against the Pharisees. He challenged them multiple times. And so we cannot conclude that someone cannot critique or challenge a pastor for something that they may be saying that is completely against the word of God from First Chronicles 16. It doesn't work and it doesn't fit in the context of what this scripture is saying. So remember, again, I'm going to I'm going to say it over and over again. The three biblical rules of Bible reading context, context, context. We always have to look at the context of what of what is being said. OK, so that's that's the first one. OK, so the second one we're going to get into is a very, very well known one as well. Um, this one is in Philippians 4.13 that says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? I can pass that test. Ooh, I can buy that car. I can buy that house. I can be the president of the United States. I can do all things or anything because Christ is strengthening me. Yes. I can do anything I set my mind to do. Is that what that verse means? No. <laughs> That is not what that scripture means. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me does not mean that we can do anything we set our minds to. It does not mean we can pass that test. We can buy that car or whatever. You know, we can do it all because, hey, God is the one that strengthened me. That is that, that is not what that, that passage means. And we're going to actually read it because this one is a little shorter than first chronicle than the first one so i can kind of read a little bit of the context to kind of show you guys what what this scripture means right so i'm going to start from verse 10 we're going to go from verse 10 to verse 13 to get a uh, a clearer picture of what paul because this is paul talking um of what paul is speaking on so verse 10 to verse 13 says i rejoice in the lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learnt in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learnt the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him. Who strengthens me. So from reading that in context, what is Paul speaking on? He's speaking on contentment. He's talking about how no matter where he finds himself in, no matter what circumstance he finds himself in, because he's saying, hey, I've, I've been in circumstances where I've had a lot of food and I've been in circumstances where I've been hungry. I've been in circumstances where I've had plenty and I've been in circumstances where I was in need. But regardless whether I am in need or whether I have plenty, I can be content in those situations because it, because it is God who strengthens me. And so Paul is talking about being content. 
Paul has learned through those circumstances of abundance and being in need, you know, to be content in those situations because it is Christ who enables him, you know, strengthens him to be content. And so we can apply this even to our life. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, whether we are broke, whether we are poor or rich, you know, uh, whether we are in hard times or good times, we can trust God. We can ultimately trust God and know that he is our provider. You know, he is our provision. He is the one who will give us the strength to faithfully endure any difficult circumstances we find ourselves in. And so this allows us to be content in even the harshest times of our lives, you know, because we have a God who is faithful. We have a God who is sovereign and we have a God who will provide ultimately for his people. And so that is what Paul is saying. And we know this because throughout this throughout the context of this scripture, he's talking about being in need. He's talking about having a lot and having a little. He's talking about contentment, right? And so all of these things at the end of that particular passage, when he says, I can do all things through Christ, he is speaking on what he, what he was referring to earlier, which is contentment. I can be content. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. I can be in need and I can have plenty regardless. Hey, <laughs> it is Christ who strengthens me. So this doesn't, this passage doesn't refer to, I can do all things in terms of like, I can pass a test. I can, I can get all these things and I can get that and I can get this, you know, as long as I just set my mind on it. That is not what this passage means. So that one was a quick one because I think that one was pretty easy to decipher and to discern what the meaning of it truly is. Um, so hopefully now when you're in any hard situations and you're referring back to Philippians 4.13, remember that regardless of what situation you're in, be content because your God will provide for you. You can do it in any situation and you can do it. You can be content because God will enable you to be content. He will enable you and strengthen you to do that. So that that is that is such an encouraging verse and I really as if we can use it in that context, we can see the power of that verse and see how good of a God, God is. <laughs> so that's that. Now, the last one, the last scripture we're going to talk about is Romans 4, 17. Um, this is a very, very important scripture that I want to talk about, and it will lead into something that I will, I will be speaking on in a, um, in the near future. I think this is something that really needs to be talked about. So Romans 4, 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So that's Romans 4, 17. Again, just like the first passage that we spoke on, this is used in a lot of hyper charismatic slash charismatic movements where they have brought this idea from the new age, from the new age beliefs and have brought it secretly into the church and have hijacked Romans 417 to mean that we as people have the power and ability to speak things into existence, whatever we want, 
Even if it, ne if it never existed, whatever we want, just speak it, boom, and it'll come into existence. And this is a, a new age belief that, that has truly crept into the church unnoticed. And if you are not in your word daily, it, it doesn't have to be daily, but if you are just not in your word consistently, it will be so hard for you to discern this false teaching that has crept into the church because some of the stuff sounds true. I mean, some of it is true, but the truth has been stretched so far that it has completely gone against the word of God. And so you will hear, oh, just speak whatever into existence. We as, the, we as people, we have the power to just call things into existence. Or as y'all know, we can just manifest, manifestation, manifest things into our lives. And you will hear this a lot in the word of faith movement, the name it and claim it movement, um, in the new age belief, this manifestation, just manifest it. That is not scripture, guys. We can, <laughs> we as people cannot manifest Okay, manifest things into our lives. That is not the gospel. What does Romans 4, 17 even mean? Well, let's look at the context. We can see even in, if you just read the whole chapter of Romans 4, the context of, Rome, the context of Romans 4 is talking about salvation. It's talking about salvation through faith and how that was even evident. Even having faith, being made righteous or being declared righteous before God through our faith was even evident in the Old Testament um, in the situation of Abraham, how Abraham had faith in God and Abraham had faith in the promise that God had made to him. He had faith before he did anything, before he was circumcised, before he um, did this or did that. He had faith in the promise of God and God declared him righteous in that moment. And so Romans 4 is talking about uh, how we receive salvation through faith. And then more specifically, it's talking about Abraham's faith, you know, how Abraham believed God. The context of this verse, Romans 4, 17, it is speaking about, it's speaking directly about God. It says God is the one that calls things into existence. He is the one that gives life to the dead. It says God is the one that does this. Nowhere does it say we can do it. It is talking about God. We have to read this verse very carefully. God is the one that can create something out of nothing. He alone is able to speak something into existence that never existed before. And we see that even in Genesis 1, when God calls light into existence. Light was never there, but just through speaking it out, let there be light. There was light. We see also in um, the situation of Sarah, in the deadness of her womb, how God brought life to it. Only God can do that. And the scripture is indicating, it says that, that Abraham believed in God, who is the one that gives life to the dead and calls things into existence, summons things into existence by the word of his mouth. You know, when God speaks, it is as good as done it will happen. That is a, an ability and a characteristic that is given to God and to God alone. We do not have that power. 
And that's where the false doctrine comes in, the false, the word of faith movement, the name it and claim it, just name it. And then boom, it'll happen. Just manifest it and boom, it'll happen. You know, that we all, all we have to do is just speak and have enough faith. And without a doubt, whatever we want, whatever we want and whatever we speak will come into existence. Just speak it. Just speak it. Sit back and relax and watch the fruit of your words become your reality. That's false teaching. And I will expound upon it a little bit more in another episode. I have that lined up because it, it it's it's very tricky. It it's, it's such a deceptive doctrine that a lot of people have um, believed. And we have to be discerning, guys. We have to really, really be discerning about teachings that that is coming into play, that is coming into into the church. We really have to. Uh, put it up against the word of God to make sure it aligns. And if it doesn't align with the word of God, we have to reject it. And so Romans 4, 17 has nothing to do with us speaking things into existence because we cannot do that. <laughs> we cannot name and claim stuff. We cannot manifest things into our lives. <laughs> we cannot do that. It is not biblical. Recently, I've been hearing um, this false teaching also being called the um, the power of positive confession, right? And I believe Oprah endorses it. Steve Harvey endorses it. And even Joe Osteen endorses this false doctrine. Um, and again, this, this doctrine has a, it has, it's rooted in the new age, it's rooted in the new age. And we see it recently coming into the church, secretly coming into the church. And you, again, like I said, you can't detect it unless you know your word. You're not going to be able to, de- to detect this false teaching unless you know your word very well, because it sounds so good to the ears and it even has a little bit of truth to it, but it is completely false in the end, ultimately in what it teaches. And so it becomes another gospel and we have to be careful. We have to be careful about believing in another gospel and they use Romans 4, 17, to say that we are little gods or that we just have the power that God has. We do not guys. We don't. Okay. So just read your word and, um, and read it in its context. And we, through reading the word of God in context, we will be able, we will be able to guard our hearts against things and teachings that draw us away from God and make us our own God. So, so yeah, that's it. (laughs) <laughs> Those are the three um, scriptures that are are very well known of being twisted. And of course, again, there are more, but I just wanted to talk about those three today. So conclusion, read your word, <laughs> read your word in context. And I believe we, I believe we all are, you know, getting into the, into the habit of doing it. And I'm, I'm hoping that, and I'm believing in that, you know, and I'm having faith in that. Basically, I'm encouraging myself, okay? (laughs) I'm encouraging myself that we will continue to do better at reading God's word in its context so that we can properly apply it to our daily lives and um, so that in the end, we can glorify God because it is God that ultimately will be glorified through it all. And so, um, yeah, let me know, guys, what you think. Uh, if you have any other scriptures that you think are being taken out of context, 
please let me know. I would love to cover it um, in the next episode that we talk about, you know, scriptures taken out of context. I would love to dive into it. So yeah, thank you guys for tuning in so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I hope you guys have a beautiful, beautiful day um, and enjoy the weather. Enjoy the weather. It's getting, finally, it's getting warm in Maryland. Praise God for that. <laughs> so yeah, enjoy your day, guys. I will see you in my next episode. Bye.